What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Joe Bonamassa here from New York City, and this is another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. And I got to tell you, um, I've gotten to interview a lot of people and I've got to meet a lot of people in my life, but today is very special for me because I get to sit and chat with one of my all-time guitar-playing heroes and a super nice guy and a gentleman who who specifically brought a very special guitar for me to see a few years ago that that changed my life, Mr. Albert Lee. Albert, thank you for being here. What a, what a wonderful treat this uh, is for everyone. Oh, well, thank you. It's a pleasure for me, too. <laughs> so we were talking a little bit before we started, and, um, you know, have, would you have ever imagined in your in your vast career that you would you would have a year, maybe two years off from playing shows. It, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter how long you've been in the business or whatever. It, it, the, the notion of like, what do you mean? There's going to be no shows for two years? I mean, like, how, how have you been coping with the with the shutdown? Well, it's quite bizarre, really. You know, I mean, I've had it's like shallow periods before. You know, when I yeah. I'm going out with the Everly Brothers for a, a two or three months, and then I might not have very much for a uh, two or th another two or three months, you know. Right. But this is quite bizarre, just to a whole year like this, you know. It's been it's been very bizarre, and and uh, how do you keep the how do you keep the chops up? Do you do you try to play every day, or or if you're like me, you're like oh god, it's been a week and I haven't picked this thing up, you know? Oh, no, I'm, I'm worse than that, you know. My calories are gone, so I'm glad you're not asking me to play today. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't be able to play either. It's like it, the, the skills do erode. You know what I mean? It's 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 a real lesson. I mean, the, to to players, it's like you've got it's like a muscle. If you don't use it, it it you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a little nervous about it now. I bet I better. I keep saying I'm going to pick it up, but uh, then I find things to do around the house, like trying to do the brush and stuff. The fire department have been on been on me for a few days now so i've got to get out there and clean up around the house you're in uh you're you've been in california a long time i have yeah i came out here in the early 70s and uh and then by the time i joined emmy lou i realized boy well I, i've got some living here now this is right. exactly what I, where i want to be and playing playing the kind of music i love you know it's it, it, this year. I, 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 it's my twentieth year in 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 California, and since I moved out to California, mm -hmm. and I would call it a sunny place for shady people. You know, <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. You know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, you see, so, so you're out doing the brush now. For those who don't live in California, the the technical term for that is weed abatement. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah, that's what the what the uh, firemen call it. Yeah. The and what they'll do is they'll take like they'll take a drone over your house and take a photo and then they send you a letter. Like if they need like if the, like if the, they need something from you, the letter can't come fast enough. But if you need something from them, it's like months and no response, you know. Well, that's what they warned me this latest uh... Uh, warning I had they said well you may not hear from us for about 30 days you know oh. so but they've all they've already sent me a bill for like 500 bucks you know which is <laughs> you know it's, it seems silly to to pay that you know I I've done most of it most of it actually the weeds are clear it's just right. uh, trees and uh, you know I've got about six cars outside the house and uh, right. not all of them are running you know I'm sure they're not very happy about that <laughs> well, you know that's that's the thing about um, cars. If you, you get into cars or old anything, you know, old cars, are, it's uh, any day that you make it from your house to where you're going back to your house. That's a good day. You 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 chuck that up as a win. You know. Yeah. <laughs> do you work yeah. on your cars? I do best I can. Yeah, I'm no expert, but uh, you know, you, you learn by trial and error. You know, I do. I do, I do, I'm good at replacing parts and, you know, finding out where the problems are. <laughs> right. I'm good at calling people and, and, and having them come over or towing it. I have AAA. You know, I'm good at, like, telling people that it needs something done. 
I want to talk. I want to talk about where you started your musical journey. I read that your father was a musician, and and you started on piano around age seven. Um, what kind of music was your dad into um, at that age? You know, like what, what was he what was he listening to? Yeah, well, he, I mean, he wasn't profe- He was never professional, but he he played the piano, and uh, you know, he liked uh, all the old uh, think music from the thirties and forties. You know. But uh, he, he certainly uh, grew to like the stuff that I was listening to, you know, I'm playing uh, Buddy Holly and Jim Vincent, and he, he appreciated it, you know. So, uh, what was, um, like, growing up in England, you know, like, how, how, you know, when was your first introduction to American rock and roll? Like, you know, the Buddy Hollies, Jerry Lee Lewis's, Chuck Berry, um, was that pop radio or, or was that like yeah, underground? Well, we had BBC, which we wouldn't play very many rock and roll records, but every now and again, you know, you'd be listening to a program and you might be lucky enough to, to, to hear one or two rock and roll songs on it. I think the first guy to uh, excite us really was Lonnie Donegan. Right. And, uh, and then we heard Bill Haley. You know, and uh, that that was pretty exciting stuff for me, you know, compared with what we've been listening to on the BBC. And then, uh, you know, it was in the, in the course of a, a whole year, you know, we'd 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 hear uh, Elvis and and then the Everly Brothers, Chuck Berry and, you know, all the early rockers and Jerry Lee Lewis. And uh, so that that all happened about 1957, I guess. You know, and uh, I, I, a friend of mine had a guitar. It's actually his brother's guitar, and I, I thought, hey, um, you know, I, 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 he lived about three doors away, you know, and I said, hey, I just found a some sheet music, and it's got like little uh, chord blocks there. Shows you how to do the fingering. And he said, oh, I've got a book, you know. So, so we we both were learning together on his brother's guitar. Mm-hmm. I actually played guitar for about 18 months and I was borrowing guitars. I didn't, I I didn't have one of my own, you know. I read somewhere you, 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 you bought your first guitar mail order and it came and it was like, didn't you have to put it together? Oh no, 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 no. no? Maybe someone else. Maybe somebody else. But when, when, when did you make the transition from, a regular guitar, like an acoustic guitar, to to electric, you know, and and you know, I read your first electric was a Hofner, that you bought it like a furniture store. Yeah, well, I, I, yeah, it was um, it was a Hofner President, and it did have a pickup on it, but uh, of course, I had nowhere to plug it in. Right. You know, it was plug it in the radio. It was a few years later that I got an amplifier, and then I got I got uh, there was a shop in in called Jennings in Charing Cross Road. And uh, they had this amazing-looking guitar in the window, and uh, I thought, boy, it looks just like the guitar that Buddy Holly plays, you know. Right. And it, it was actually it, it was a copy. It was a Czechoslovakian copy, and right. uh, eighty-five pounds second-hand for it, which was a, a lot of money then, you know. Yes. And uh, because, like a year or two later, you could buy a telly or a strap for. You know, just over a hundred pounds. So, uh, yeah, I soon realised that uh, this thing I bought wasn't very good. You know, but I still didn't have an amp. We we had a little group, and uh, the bass player he we he, he was playing double bass to begin with, and then he he bought a Hofner violin bass. This was pre Paul McCartney, you know. Right. And uh, so we had a trio, and we actually went out on the road backing. Uh, fairly well-known singer at the time and that was uh, early 1960s so that was that was my first period on the road in 1960. Who was the singer? Oh his name was Dickie Pride. Dickie Pride, uh, that's a a, a good name. Yeah well there there was a a guy called uh, Larry Palms he had a stable of rock singers you know Mm. crazy names you know like one you'd probably remember was Georgie Fame. He, did, he named Georgie. Right. Right. Uh, did you remember the Chris Farlow as well? 
that came in 64. So I was already kind of established then. I was, I was, you know, professional then by then, by then. And I'd been to Germany a couple of times too. So I worked, I worked at the star club and, uh, well, a top 10 club to begin with. And, uh, I ran into uh, Alvin Lee there. He was there with a band called the Jaybirds. So mm-hmm. he and I got to, got to be friends then. That was 62, I think, late in 62. Oh. So, yeah, it was uh, on uh, when I came back from Germany uh, the last time in that period, uh, I, I joined Chris Fowler. That was early in 64, and I was with him for about four years, you know. You know, it, it's 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 interesting to me because um, you were an in-demand guitarist for a lot of genres, and it would be considered rock and roll, pop music, country. Um, and what you know, what was your approach? How would you different you know differentiate your approach between acts? Like if you were working with, you know, Head, Hands and Feet or Chris Farrell or even Eric Clapton, who you played with for five years, you know, that's a that's a that's a big difference in musical style. Well, it is, yeah. And the final analysis, I guess it is. But uh, I'd never really changed the way I played too much, you know. Okay. Yeah, yeah, when I was, I, I love country music, and uh, I was playing R and B with Chris Farrell and buying Buck Owens records. You right. Know? Right. So, uh, you know, I, I listened to, of course, I was a huge uh, James Burton fan, too, you know. Uh, but uh, early on, it was Cliff Gallup and and, uh, and Scotty Moore that, that really influenced me. And that that uh, encouraged me to get a, buy a Gibson. I, I talked to a friend of mine to buy a Gibson when they first got Gibsons in, into the stores in London. My right. friend was going to buy a Burns guitar, and I said, "Oh no, don't don't buy that." I said, "They've got Gibsons in town now, you know." So he bought a Les Paul Junior. This would have been sixty sixty one, mm-hmm. and uh, of course I used to borrow it occasionally. And right. I thought, "Boy, this thing sounds fantastic," you know. And my amplifier was one of the first American amps sold through a store in the in the early sixties. Uh, I was. We had a store called Selma's where everybody used to go, and they sold. Mm. Gifts. They had, uh, they got the whole, you know, uh, array, uh, array of Gibsons there for a while. So you go in there and look at them all and say, "Wow, which one can I afford here?" You know. Right. And uh, I was in there one day, and so we're getting some American amps in. You know, you might want to look. We've got a catalog here, you know, because I knew I needed an amp because I didn't right. have one. We used to. Sh- share one in the little tree I was with. You know, we had a, a Selma 19 watts <laughs> tremolo amp with one twelve. Right. <laughs> and the two, you know, the bass and the guitar used to go through it, you know. That's that's wow. when, and we went on the road like that. We went up to Scotland with Dickie Pride with this amp. You know, right. It wasn't mic'd up or anything, you know. So uh, I, I soon realised when I got back from that first tour of Scotland that I, I needed an amp, and that's when I saw this catalogue, and I, I figured out which one I could, have, I could afford the payments on, you know. And it was, right. a, it was a Supra with a 15-inch Jensen, you know. Nice, and, nice. Uh, and it, yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, and I used that for a while. I took it to Germany once or twice, and uh, and then somehow, after we left this club, there was nobody in the club, but uh, by the time I got back the next night to do our six-hour set someone mm. had poured, poured beer in into my amp you know oh. and it, it wasn't working properly and it never did work didn't never did work properly and i thought boy so i i left it in germany and then i picked up a, a piggyback basement while i was in germany and brought that back you know smuggled, right. smuggled it in <laughs> right right <laughs> Well, you know, a lot of people didn't re- didn't realize that that in 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 the UK, um, American gear was not readily available because there was some sort of weird trade embargo in the fifties that that right. you, you couldn't import like a, a Fender Telecaster or a Les Paul, and so when when it finally lifted in about nineteen fifty nine or nineteen sixty, a flood of this gear. I mean, it must have been like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm seeing this stuff. For real, 
you know? Well, it was just amazing for us to, be, to see all these guitars, you know? But I, it was Gibson I was interested in at the time, and I had my heart set on a uh, an ES-175, and I was going to put a Bigsby on it, and I thought, yeah, right. this will suit my my needs here, you know. But a guy heard me playing in the store. He said, oh, are you with a band? I said, well, kind of in between, you know. He said, well, we need a guitar player. You won't need a guitar. We've got one already. So I went over to his house, opened up this guitar case, and there's a brand-new Les Paul Custom with a Bigsby. <laughs> I said, okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll join your band. Yeah, no kidding. So that that became my guitar, you know. We uh, I ended up. Uh, it was a strange arrangement where we pull all the money from the gigs, well gigs we got to make the gear, you know. Right. And then father didn't like the idea of that. He said, "Well, you know, I need to talk to this guy. You know, you you need to take over the payments, so it's going to be yours, you know." Right. So, so I love that guitar, you know, and uh, it you know still had the. Uh, the the, uh, it was the fretless wonder, so it had, you know, hardly any frets on it. But I, I felt very comfortable with it, you know. And uh, I, I used to play at a coffee bar called the Two Eyes, where a lot of the musicians used to hang out, you know. And right. uh, uh, Jimmy Page used to used to go down there too. We were we could, became friends, went to each, each other's houses and listened to records and whatever, you know. And uh, I think he liked my setup of. Uh, of the Les Paul Custom and uh, Supro mm -hmm. so much, so he, he bought the same rig. I think he right. with a smaller, smaller amp, you know, which, which apparently used on, on the uh, uh, Zeppelin records or one of the records, yeah. anyway. So uh, yeah, I, I, um, I played that for, uh, for about four, four years, three or four years, and I loved it, you know, uh, that guitar. And then uh, a friend of mine who worked as a salesman in Selma's, I walked in there one day, he said, hey, look, look I've got something to show you. And it was a, it was a beaten up Telecaster. I think mm -hmm. it was, it must have been a 59 because it was a, a rosewood neck, you know. Right. And uh, so he said, look at this, instant James Burton, you know. So, so I bought that guitar. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it was a, uh, it was only like three, three or four years old, but it had been been mistreated. But right. but it sounded great, you know. I thought, God, he said, what a what a you know what a, a real electric sound, you know, compared yeah. with the ball, you know. I thought, God, I love this thing, you know. So I I, I gradually weaned myself off of the uh, the Les Paul for some reason, and uh, I sold it to someone who was pestering me every time I saw him. He said, oh, I really want to buy that guitar from you. Let me know when you want to sell it. And I had the opportunity of buying a friend's uh, Super 400, right. which I thought, oh, top of the line Gibson, it's got to be fantastic, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, so uh, reluctantly, <laughs> I realized it was a mistake afterwards because it, it, the uh, as good as the uh, Super 400 was, it, it did didn't suit the way I was playing at the time, you know? It's a big guitar. I yeah. mean, it's a, I think it's 18 inches. And I used to have one with two pickups in it. And I thought it was like, again, it's like, it's the top of the heap. You know, you're like, this is, this is as good as it gets. And you're like, you're, you're like doing this. And it's like, it's, oh, oh, it's yeah. beating back. And it's like, they're really jazz guitars, you know, oh, it, it, you know. Yeah. So the guy, the guy I bought it from was uh, was uh, very happy that <laughs> that I'd uh, decided to sell it back to him, you know. Mm -hmm. And he, he he was so glad to get it back, and uh, he uh, he kept it for a number of years, and and then he he needed money, so he ended ended up selling it to uh, oh he auctioned it, uh, and that was it. And he said, well, they're going to, he said, can I use your name, and I'll get I'll give you, you know, I'll get I'll give you give you some money, you know, right. and I said, oh, yeah, fine, you know. So it, it, it's it's now on the wall in the uh, in the Hard Rock in Nashville. Next time you're in Nashville, it's, oh, okay. it, it's Albert Lee's Super 400. I want to see <laughs> it. I, I only had it like a year or so, you know, but. I have a place a couple blocks from there. The next time next time I go, I'm going to, I got to go check it out because it's yeah, like. Very I cool. I've seen pictures of it in there, but I haven't actually seen it. 
you know. Talk to me about the importance of the Everly Brothers, because, you know, they're obviously, they're just, they were so original sounding. The, the harmonies that they created, the music they created, the songs that they wrote. I mean, you know, when, when, I, when I look back at the 60s, you know, I put them right up there in importance, maybe not in popularity, but definitely of importance as the Beatles, the Stones, you know, all those great, you know, seminal groups of the, of the 60s. And you work with them and you play with them. You, you were the MD of their reunion. Um, what was it like working with a band like that, you know, that, that, that created such a unique sound? Well, I was always a huge fan. I loved the, the early records, of course, right. and I loved, uh, I figured out that Dom was doing all those great acoustic licks, you know, so right. that made me a big Don Everly fan, you know. But I I, I was playing at a, a little club in London and a couple of guys were there listening to our band and got to chatting to them afterwards. And uh, I, I said, they were American, you know, I thought, well, what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we're, at, we're actually in a band, you know, I said, who are you with? And I said, well, actually, we're with the Everly Brothers. And I thought, mm -hmm. oh, God, you know. Right. So hanging out with the guitar player, who you may know, Don Peake. Yeah. He, Don was the guitar player, and uh, Joey Page was the bass player. And uh, anyway, I got to hang out with Don quite a bit, go over to his hotel, and we'd sit mm -hmm. and play together, and he'd tell me about all these guys I'd, I'd never heard of, like Glenn Campbell and Howard right. Robertson, who he was having lessons lessons from you know and he said oh let's go across to the savoy you know we can i'll introduce you to phil this is the tour where don was sick at the beginning of the tour and mm -hmm. finish off the tour on his own you know this was oh, right. late 62. so i met phil then and uh um he was really nice you know and he, you know he's a, just uh, always been a nice guy you know and uh, thankfully, he always remembered me from 1962. You know? mm -hmm. So the following year, they came over, and I, I did meet Don uh, uh, briefly backstage at a, at a concert. Um, but I'm sure he didn't remember me afterwards, you know. Right. But it was it, it was years later when I I was after I'd uh, after Head, Hands, and Feet, mm -hmm. I. Got I got to, I ended up with the Crickets, Buddy Holly's old band. Right, right. And uh, I was at Jerry Allison's house, and he got a call from Don Everly. And uh, he said, uh, he said, hey, J.I., he said, I'm, I'm, we're playing at this this uh, little bar once a week, and it's just great fun. You should come out, lots of players. It's only a tiny place, you know. Right. This is 73 after he'd split with his brother. Right. And uh, so... Uh, Jerry Allison said, oh, yeah, I've got Albert Lee here. I'll bring him out, you know. And there was kind of a, a lull at the end of the line. And Don said, that's Phil's friend, isn't it? <laughs> so I took my Telecaster out to the Sundance Saloon out in Calabasas, near, right. not too far from where we are now. And I uh, immediately became Don's friend. And I'd go, I'd go out there and play with him. When I was in town, I'd go out there and and sit in with the band, and it was great, you know, and uh, Al Perkins was there the first time I went out, and uh, maybe John Hartford used to go there, and Byron Berline, mm -hmm. Don Blood, and then uh, I remember coming back from England from one trip, I walked into the club, and there's Buddy Emmons on steel, you know. Oh, wow. I thought, oh, my God. I, so, that, that, so I got to hang out with Don quite a bit, and, uh, and uh, you know, did some... Did a few gigs with him here and there, mm -hmm. solo artist, and I think he liked having a, a sidekick because I'm sure he missed his brother in a way, you know. Yeah. Even, even though they fell out. And then, uh, to my delight, I mean, he I used to borrow his guitars if I had a session. I didn't have an acoustic guitar here. Right. I used to borrow borrow a guitar of his for for a session, you know. So. Uh, I think at one time I had two or, two or three of his guitars in my hand, which is uh, quite amazing when I think about it. But he he and his wife knew that I really coveted his big black J200, you know, with the white pickguard, you know. Can I ask you about that? They, they decided that, he said, well, maybe 
you know, Howard really loves his guitar. Maybe, you know, maybe we should make a present of it to him, you know. So uh, I was just uh, blown away when they gave me this guitar, you know. That's amazing. And, you know, one of the questions I, you know, I have for you is, is you were the musical director for the reunion. Um, when well, that's, that's often quoted, but um, we were, you know, everybody knew the songs. We listened to the, we listened right. to the track before the, uh, before the rehearsal and, uh, and uh, Pete Wingfield with the keyboard player. And he, yeah. he's, he's more of a musical director than I, than I yeah. am. How did, they make, how did the brothers make peace? Because they were they, they fell out pretty they fell out pretty hardcore. Yeah, they did. Yeah, but no, I think I got a call from Terry Slater, who was a, a big friend of uh, of, of Phil's, and uh, he um he he was playing bass with them in the sixties. He came, he was English, and he called me up. He said, "Well, he said, well, you know, the the brothers have been talking to each other, and uh, they had a little." you know, private rehearsal, and they, they decided they want to give it an, another go. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this re, this uh, reunion concert at the Albert Hall, you know, so are, are you in? Would you like to do it? I said, right. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, so that we did that. We rehearsed in London. Funnily enough, after the first day's rehearsal, some kids broke, in, broke into the rehearsal room and stole half of the equipment. Oh I, I had a 410 uh, music man with the yeah. J-Pos in it, mm -hmm. and they managed to lift it over this wall that was eight feet high. <laughs> but uh, amazingly, they, uh, the police tracked them down, we, and we had our gear back within a, within a day or two. But, yeah, uh, we're, we're, we're looking for a, a music man amp that weighs about 300 pounds. <laughs> yeah. The only one in the UK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we got everything back. So uh, yeah, we did we did the concert. It was a huge success, you know. And uh, there was a video made of it, which is still being shown now, you know. It's it's a and, great. I was watching a little bit of online, and and you know, it's just, it's it was so nice to see them again playing together. You know what I mean? And you, oh, it's you and and it was just again the, one of my favorite groups of the '60s. And I just I think as far as importance and influence, they were they were. So ahead of their time, just the way the harmonies worked and the the bluesy acoustic, you know, Don's. It was always that foil. It was always a blues in it, you know. And it's like, it's great. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's amazing because they grew up country, right? Uh, and they were big fans of of Ray Charles, and they did right. Ray Charles songs, and they ended up recording some of them, you know. Yeah. Tell me about the Hot Band because you know, speaking of you know bands of importance and 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 you know emmy lou harris you know after grant parsons died and the record company says well we'll, we'll give you a deal if you put together a hot band she's like okay try this one you know albert yeah. lee rodney crowell ricky skaggs i mean like it was the 18 and it was all in la you know you guys were there and you know how yeah. did you meet emmy lou well i i played with some of the guys before on mm -hmm. and uh, like the drummer Used to play it out in the Sundance with the, with with Don, you know. So right. I knew some of the guys already, you know, and uh, and of course Glendy Harding, who was a cricket, you know, he was right. he was he was in the band, and uh, I went to I went along to a couple of shows actually. I saw them play at the Palomino, and I'd go because I wanted to see James play. You know? Yeah, right, Mainly. right. It was James I was interested in. And then a friend of mine said, uh, hey, we've got, um, uh, I'm going to drive down to Laguna. You know, it was a bit of a drive. And he had this uh, big old hot rod that he's built. You know, he said, you know, we'll drive down in my car and and uh, go and see the band. So so we drove down there and afterwards went backstage and he said, oh, Albert, we're just thinking about you. What are you doing the next couple of weeks? Mm -hmm. Well, nothing. Actually, I was thinking about going back to England because right. I didn't. I didn't have uh, very much going on, um, so uh, and uh, I was actually living in Joe Cocker's guest house. You know, I'd been playing oh, right. Joe about eighteen months. You know, and uh, fortunately, I was in the guest house. It was all, right. kind of, all kinds of madness was going on. 
You, you, you survived. You survived yeah. living in Joe Cocker. Yeah, yeah he'd be up till three or four in the morning playing records full volume. So I was glad to glad to be out of that, you know. Right. So, uh, uh, yeah, so uh, they said, well, we need someone to fill in for James for a couple of weeks because he's going off to play with Elvis. Mm-hmm. You know, we'd like to do it. I said, oh, God, yeah, love to do it, you know. Right. So we can have rehearsal and a couple of sound checks or whatever. You can come and see a couple more shows, you know. I said, yeah, fine, whatever. And then I got a call like two days later from Glenn D. And he said, hey, J- James has got the flu. Can you play tonight? And I said, <laughs> okay. Sure. So this was out at a little bar in uh, San Bernardino called the Branding Iron. I'll never forget it. So we had like a two-hour sound check. And fortunately, I knew a lot of the stuff she was doing. You know, she was right. playing Buck Owens and Waylon Jennings covers, you know, from the 60s, you know. So it was easy for me to, to fit in, really. Right. So uh, we did that gig, and it was it, it went well. It was a lot of fun. I thought, well, great, you know. And then they uh, we, we had to go on the road for about a week or two, and apparently there were these frantic phone calls going back and forth between James and the band and said, come on, James, you've got to decide, you know, we've got a lot of gigs coming up. Are you right. going to, are you going to be able to play with us or are you going to stay with Elvis? So he thought about it and uh, he knew what side his bread was buttered, you know, he decided <laughs> to stay with Elvis, you know, which was, which was good in the short term, but not in the long term because uh, uh, Elvis passed away the following year. Right. You know, so, but there I was, and I, I with the, with the hot band. I thought, why, this is it now. Um, my girlfriend at the time, who is now my wife, mm-hmm. you know, we looked in the local Malibu paper, paper, and found a an ocean view apartment for five hundred a month. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, <laughs> you know, this is great. I'm I'm living here now and playing with a band that I, that I, I really love, the music I really love. So, so that was it, really. That was 76. That was when I finally made the move. And, and, and that's like you made it. You're in Malibu. You're playing with this great band. You know? <laughs> yeah. I, and, and by the way, I understand why James would, would stay with Elvis because I've, I've been to Graceland and I've been on that plane and those seat belts were gold-plated. <laughs> You know, I mean, you get on the TCB plane, you're like, okay, it would be it would be a hard gig to leave, you know, gold-plated yeah, seatbelts. Oh, yeah, and I'm sure he was well-paid for, for that gig, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Um, he, he'd call up, Elvis would call James in person and say, hey, James, you know, you know, are you able to do this or able to do that, you know? And right. He loved right. you. Um. A few years later, you find yourself on the road with Eric Clapton. And how, did, yeah. how do you go from the hot band to Eric Clapton? Is it, did, did he, well, did he I, call you specifically and say, you know, Albert, I, I need you to come play with the band because we got, because at the time he was doing some country-ish Don Williams flavored stuff. Yeah, I, I was, um, I left Emmy Lou because I got uh, a record deal with A&M and I thought mm-hmm. I need time to do this record and uh in fact half the band left you know uh, glenn right. d around that time and rodney had already or rodney crowell had already left to do his first solo record you know right. and uh yeah i i guess i felt you know maybe the grass is greener where i'm going here with this record and so uh, i i actually found myself back in england again doing a a record with uh, Glyn Johns right. and Eric was playing on it and some of his band. So we, we were, it was Mark Benno, a guy from Texas. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we were working on his record for almost a week, I guess, you know, at the end of which uh, his, uh, Eric's manager pulled me aside. He said, hey, you know, Eric did the last tour without the, a second guitar player. And uh, he he really likes the idea of uh, it, you know of you of you joining the band if because it, it was an American band you know right. and uh, he really liked having an English guy around him you know right right 
decided at this point. So uh, I thought, well, yeah, great, <laughs> you know. So, right. and I, I, I just having ready to have an album released, and I, you know, I didn't, I wasn't really what I'd call a, an accomplished frontman, you know. I, I was singing on stage with Emmy Lou and other bands, but I, you know, the fact uh, uh, of uh, of do, you know doing a whole show on my own, I thought, no. I, I think I'll go with Eric. You know? right, it's going right. to be a bad move, you know. So, yeah, I was with Eric for five years. And uh, after that first tour, he fired the, the whole of the band except me. And, right. Uh, he thought they were, I think he he thought they were get, getting a bit too complacent. and He wanted to, you know, add some new blood, you know. So uh, he got some English guys, you know, uh, Gary yeah. Brooker and, and Henry Spinetti and, and Chris Stainton. Right. And uh, after about two years, he fired all those guys, and uh, I, I managed to survive that purge, you know. Right. But it taught me a lesson. I thought, well, this may not last forever here, you know. So I was with him for, for five years, you know. And I, I, would, I would have stayed with him, you know. But I think that final year, he, was, he wasn't well, you know. He had uh, ulcers and he... Yeah. he he wasn't, you know, still drinking a lot, and and because uh, he'd, he'd long quit the the heroin for years before before I joined him, but it was he'd replaced it with uh, with uh, booze and shopping, you know. Right. <laughs> he'd go he'd go to his tailor and order like a dozen suits at a time, you know. That was mm-hmm. his way of getting over the over the heroin, you know. So uh, yeah, I, I went up. Uh, to the manager's office one day, and at the end of the tour, he said, "I'm sorry to tell you, boy, but he said you, yeah, uh, um, you won't be on the next record." And I thought, "Oh, all right." Well, it kind of hit me a little hard, and I thought, "Well, I kind of understand, you know, because he's he's fired so many people before that." Right. You know, but uh, but we'd see each other briefly after that, and he was a little uncomfortable with. Uh, being around me because he because he'd fired me, you know. But now we're 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 pretty close, you know. We email each other every now and again. I don't I email him uh, email him unless I've got something important to say, you know. Right. Don't, you don't, don't even like, don't right. like to bother him, you know. But no, we uh, he uh, he's had me play on a couple of records, you know, and uh, uh, the the Kale records, JJ Kale tributes. Right. And uh, in fact, I'm doing a I'm doing an overdub next week, not for Eric, but it's an Eric Clapton tribute record. Right. (laughs) I'm going to be playing on Lay Down Sally, which I know quite well. (laughs) I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure you do. That was that was George Terry's song. That was uh, the guy who uh, predated your your tenure. Yeah. Well, he did the tour without George, and that's why. why Yeah. He decided uh, he needed uh, he, he'd like a, another guitar player, but yeah. after he fired me, he had a, a string of guitar players, you know, and uh, um, he still mixes and matches when he, right. when he does gigs, you never know. But uh, I'm glad to say that Chris Stanton's been a been a, a staple in, the, in his band, you know. Paul. Yeah, uh, Chris is great, and he's, uh, we used to hang out a lot, you know. Yeah, he's managed to be in all a lot of different versions of, of Eric's band. All right, yeah. I'm going to ask you a couple more questions before we wrap up. Sure, yeah. You know what's, you know what's coming. Okay. When did Eric give you the Delaney and Bonnie Les Paul custom? Oh, at the, fir- the first rehearsal. At the first rehearsal? Yeah. Wow. I, t- I think I had a picture of my old one because I, I, was, uh, I was really sad after you know for a long time right. after old mine you know he said oh I've got, I've got one of those at home somewhere mm-hmm. so the day and he said no more about it and the next day uh the famous alan rogan the guitar roadie <laughs> brought it in in a case and uh i i began to use it from there on and uh right. I, I get he didn't say well this is a gift i i, I assumed it was you know and uh right it became my guitar and uh, he never played it after that and right. uh, so yeah that was uh, that was my guitar and i was very pleased to have it 
because I, I d regretted parting with mine, you mm. know, a long time before, you know. And uh, I guess I would have looked around to try and buy another one, you know, which were right. uh, attainable at the time. But, you know, right. now, <laughs> I don't know how much they are now. They're way up there, you know. They're but, pushing 50 grand, 60,000, yeah. you know, for not Eric Clapton's and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, for, so, for, for John yeah. Smith's, you know, that's 50 yeah. grand, not yeah. Eric Clapton's or Albert Lee's. Yeah. yeah, a friend of mine, you may know, in Pete Trout in Las Vegas, he's got two of them now. That he's a, he played mine, you know, and uh, um, he said, oh, I'm going to start looking for them, you know, he's a big guitar dealer, you know, so right. he's he's got two, he's got a 60 and a 58, I think, right. 57, you know. Yeah, I have a. Uh... I have George Coyman's from Golden Earring. I have I have his fifty. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, oh. the, the the radar love, you know. Um, I want to talk to, just briefly. I want to talk to you about to me one of the most difficult guitar songs, one of the greatest country songs of all time, "Country Boy." And I say this because when you listen to the song, and then you go, "Wow, that's really cool and catchy," and what a, what a great song. And man, your Albert's like killing it, shredding. I I want to get into that. I'm gonna grab a guitar and I'm gonna play over these I what seeming to be very simple. And then you realize it is one of the most difficult solos to to one of the most difficult set of changes to play over in a country context because you have to follow where it's going, or else you get clash after clash after clash. And if you fall behind. It, it really exposes, well, at least on my end, my lack of musical knowledge. So, so talk, to, talk to the folks a little bit about the song, how it came about, and, and your approach to that as a soloist. Well, um, when we did it with Heads, Hands, and Feet, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the chord sequence was a little different because uh, it was it wasn't quite as interesting it was when i re-recorded it with some friends of mine i don't know if you uh, are aware of two guys in england called Chaz and dave they were right. big uh, you know they played what they called rockney it was uh, it was uh, it was rock and roll and and country but with an english accent you know right right so uh, Chaz and dave actually played on my first tracks i did for a&m and uh, it was Chaz who came up with the uh, with the uh, the key change for the uh, the, the solo. The first, right. the middle solo is in is in the in the key of E. Right. At the end of which it, it ends up in back in G again for the for right. the last verse. You know that was that what Chaz is doing here, mm -hmm. and it was a brilliant idea because it makes the the song more interesting. You know. Yeah, it's a nice lift, and it's yeah. melodically, it's very interesting on the guitar as well. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I was thinking in, in in chord shapes, really. You know, I'm not really thinking of uh, of actual licks. You know, and if I think of a chord a chord shape, you know, I know what, that I can solo around that. You know, right. and that's that's how that all came about. Yeah, because um, it, it to me took me back to when I first heard Hank Garland, and 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 you're like, oh, these guys are bebop jazz guys who are playing, you know, country fried versions of the bebop tunes, you know, and and it was like it's very it's very much in that in that um, in that in that world, and it's just it's one of my favorite songs to jam along with because it, it is challenging to play, and 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 very challenging to not only keep the timing going but but also keep in the back of your mind there's changes that are happening coming forward it's not just you're not you're not just chicken picking over g or e or you know whatever yeah yeah and uh before we wrap up um talk to me a little bit about um you've had a signature ernie ball guitar since i uh, what 85 86 yeah, I, am i guessing yeah i've, I've lost track now i see yeah, early 80s i think well I had the guitar back then, but it wasn't uh, it wasn't a signature guitar. They see, I was um, when I first met Sterling, I was with Heads, Hands, and Feet, right. and 
Ian, his father, Ernie, used to come come out and see the band a couple of times because yeah. Ernie had heard Country Boy, the Heads, Hands and Feet Country Boy on the radio. Yeah. He was tickled to discover that this was an English band, you know. Right. So they came to see us play a couple of times. And uh, Sterling's godfather was uh, um, Tom Walker, mm-hmm. who worked Leo Fender. And right. then they started the Music Man Company. So Leo was making the guitars and uh, Tom was making the amps. So yeah. me, in like from 73, 74 onwards, I was getting every version of the Music Man amps. I probably got about 15 of them, you know. Right. And uh, and still using occasionally, you know. Yep. And, Great and then, Yeah. And then uh, Ernie and, uh, um, I mean, sorry, Tom and Leo fell out and Leo started GNL. And uh, and then Ernie bought the Music Man name and company and Tom Walker worked, worked for him for a while. You know, he had right. his own. Music man, he was designing this and that, you know, pedals, and he actually designed a stereo amp, and he only, only made three of them, I think, and I, right. I have one of them. I haven't used it in years, you know. Right. And uh, and then they decided they were going to uh, design design guitars, you know, and uh, I, and uh, you know, Steve Morse was involved with. Uh, with Sterling, as was I, you know, and so we put in our two cents with what we'd like and this and that. Right. So, uh, you know, I was happy to play the uh, the um, uh, the silhouette. You know, I had my own. I had a couple of silhouettes that I really liked. You know, I had a, a teleback pickup on there because I loved the sound of the teleback pickup, and right. it's still my favourite guitars. You know, it's got yeah. two uh, two um, Strat pickups. You know, single coil. And uh, and uh, and uh, you know a telly back pickup, and uh, right. still still love that guitar. And then we, we you know we had a band called Biff Baby's All Stars that you know, still right. nicknamed himself Biff Baby. And uh, he called me one day. He said, "Oh, he said uh, we got we got we got this gig tonight." He said, "I'm going to show. I've got a new guitar. I want to show you. You know, you, you're going to love it when you see it." Mm-hmm. Up the case, and there's this all maple. Uh, Axis. In fact, it was called the Axis. Right. And uh, and I thought, wow, wow, that's fantastic. He knew I liked that shape because they'd shown a couple of these Axis guitars at, at NAM, and they hadn't really, they, they didn't have the production up enough to start making another model guitar. You know, they were making their silhouette, but they were they were really doing the bases. That's what people want. You know, so. Uh, he, he saw how much I loved this guitar, and uh, I, it became my number one guitar. From there on, I was playing it all the time, you know. And uh, I do I do seminars and whatever. And he said, "Oh, don't don't play the Axis, you know. You know, we're not making that guitar, you know." Oh, okay, no, I'll play my silhouette. Right. You know, so it was a few years later. I think he'd. Uh, this is by the time he'd gotten involved with Eddie Van Halen. He built the new guitar factory, so he was able to get the production up. And he said, "Oh, I think we're going to uh, we're going to put put out your guitar with your name on it." And I said, "Oh, great, fantastic!" You know, right. but you know, I thought, well, I'm, but I, I felt honoured really to have a guitar that nobody else had. He'd had he made about five or six of of those Axis guitars, you know, right. and uh, so uh, anyway, eventually came out. And well, he, he did ask me, he said, well, we're going to put it out. And uh, are you happy with the way it is? Do you want to change the pickups or change anything about it? And I couldn't make my mind up. He said, well, I, after a month or so, he said, I've decided for you. You've been playing that guitar as it is. So that's what we're going to go with. That's what we're going to make. Right. Yeah. That's so, uh, yeah. Then it came out with my name on it. And, uh, you know, yeah, but, that's uh, awesome. I, I have. Still, I still like the uh, the idea of having a telly back pickup on it, and uh, yeah, yeah, I have a I have one with humbuckings, uh, Sterling. Now, oh, oh. for those for those at home, um, when we say Sterling, we mean Sterling Ball. When we say Ernie, we mean Ernie Ball. And everybody's put a set of Ernie Ball Super Slinkies on their guitar. So that's and they own Music Man, and they've owned it for for years. And um, it's a great guitar. It's a it's a great shape because you know there's a lot of signature guitars out there. And when you look at your model. 
you can spot it from across the room and go, that's an Albert Lee. It's just, it's just, it's very, very unique and very functional, you know, because it's hard to redo a Strat-ish type of thing, but you did. And it's, it's really a great, it's a great design. And um, it's a testament to, you know, you as a player as well, because you just, you get so many great sounds out of it. Yeah, I, I just love it, you know, and I don't uh, crave playing anything else. Every now and again, I think about, oh, I'd, 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 I'd have to put some strings on the silhouette because I, I used to like that guitar. But actually, right. it's, got, it's got a lacquered neck, so I'd, I, uh, right. I, I much prefer the old uh, uh, fingerboards now. You know? Yeah. Uh, you know what? Nobody needs to put strings on anything. There's no gigs this year, you know? Oh, well, that's right, yeah. Don't change the string. Save a tree. Yeah. Now, I can't thank you enough for doing this. It's really been one of the one of the biggest honors of my life talking to you. And and uh, and and, yeah. and again, I, I can't thank you enough for doing it. And I can't thank you enough for bringing down that that Bonnie and Delaney, Eric Clapton, Albert Lee, Les Paul custom. And you made a a, a super guitar nerd very happy that day in L.A. Oh, yeah. I've got I've got pictures of you holding it. Yeah. Oh my god! And I was like. I, as soon as I saw the case, I go, I go, it, no, no, you know, and, I, and you brought it over to me and I was like, oh, my God, you know, but, but thank you. And, and um, I hope we get back to work and I hope to get to see you sometime soon because it's been it's been so long and nobody's been yeah. out, you know. So I, I just assumed you were living here because you always show up at the gun club things. You know, I, I, I still have a place in California, but I've been I've been here in New York city. And then I've been, I've been in Nashville and, and, you know, Nashville, we're, my band's kind of out of there. So we've been doing, I've been producing records and, and stuff like that. And, but I miss California, you know, it's, I yeah. miss the sunny place for shady people because they're my kind of people. <laughs> <laughs> the sun's shining today. We've had some rain, which is, uh, we, uh, sorely need, you know, but, uh, yeah, it's been sunny the last couple of days. So that's good. Okay, well, thank you. More yard work. <laughs> More yard work for Albert Lee. See, ladies and gentlemen, he does his own yard work. That's a that's a rock star who's kept his roots, you know. Albert, thank you very much. Ladies and gentlemen, the great Albert Lee. Next week, tune in for another exciting episode of Live from Nerdville. Thank you for joining me and have a good week. <laughs>